Welcome to Noclip, the podcast that's like a book club for people who don't think that books reward them enough for being good at them. I'm Chad Rodermans. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today, we're going to be talking about Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty, which was a game that was <laughs> released in 2001 on the PlayStation 2, 2002 on the Xbox, 2003 on Windows, and then in various other times in the form of the HD collection, uh, which included 2, 3, and Peace Walker, if I remember correctly. Um, it was developed and published by Konami, uh, and is just a, one of those Hideo Kojima classics. Yep. Uh, but first, if you can give us a like or a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. So Metal Gear Solid 2, uh, much like Metal Gear Solid 1, uh, if you haven't played Metal Gear Solid 1, it's probably fine to play this game or listen to this podcast, uh, but <laughs> you wouldn't know that it is a stealth game, and you can tell because in the title of the game it says tactical espionage action. Mm-hmm. Uh, a it's fact a plethora that, of subtitles. It sure does. Uh, which is a thing that I will never stop making fun of for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Uh, and this is the follow-up to d- debatably one of the most popular games on the PlayStation 1. Mm-hmm. Well, probably the most important one. Mm. I mean, you're throwing some uh, some hard uh, facts here, uh-huh. but some people might argue, dumb people, that Final Fantasy VII oh, well, is sure. more important. Uh, and like some other stuff. Ape yeah. Escape, of course. <laughs> Speaking of Konami yeah. games. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a game that, I guess to get out of the way, because I don't think that I want to focus on it, uh, took a lot of people by surprise, uh, because intentionally uh, they led uh, purchasers of the game to believe that they would be playing a Solid Snake adventure uh, in the vein of the first Metal Gear game. And what they actually got was a game that was basically a carbon copy of Metal Gear Solid 1 in all of its, like, set-piece moments, but Snake is not the main character. <laughs> mm-hmm. They they surprised us. Uh, it's weird that Final Fantasy VII came up, mm-hmm. uh, because I was going to ask posit you this question of, what do you think is, like, the Luke, I am your father of video games? <laughs> is it Aerith dying in Final Fantasy VII? Spoilers. Or r- r- not being, or playing as Raiden instead of Snake in this game? <sighs> Which one was the bigger twist that now everybody knows, and if you play it now, you can't go in not knowing? That is a good question. Uh, um... I feel like this one, because of the the sequel element, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, Empire was a sequel. That's a good point. And people knew going in like who Darth Vader was and who Luke was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people knew who Solid Snake was coming into this and knew generally what they wanted to expect out of the game. The Earth Dying is a pretty good one. It's mm-hmm. one that like literally no one who knows anything about Final Fantasy could possibly be spoiled on like they just already know that's why i felt comfortable not saying spoiler warning beforehand Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, and if you're the one person that didn't know i'm sorry yeah we we i mean we saved you from a very negative emotion Mm -hmm. i've been told (laughs) uh 
But yeah, and I, I always found that extremely interesting. My Bizarro World universe that I live in mm-hmm. is contains the unfortunate fact that I did play this game before I played Metal Gear Solid 1. Uh, it's just sort of a... This game came out when I was 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was a, I was a kid. Uh, and Metal Gear came out when I was even younger than that. So uh, it was a... It was weird to me how the the build-up was to this game, uh, reading back on it in retrospect, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I have to imagine is even weirder for you, because you didn't know about it until you were, like, in your 20s. <laughs> yeah, I, I never played Metal Gear Solid growing up. I don't even really feel like I had many friends that did. Like, it's not a series that, like, was really on my radar at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it is weird to go back and, like, read uh, about, like, the the lead up to this game it being like really hyped and highly anticipated and that's just not at all a thing that i experienced so i can't really comment on it yeah despite me playing the game around the time of its release i didn't know any of this was happening i was i was not plugged into the industry at nine so right <laughs> uh it was it, it's a strange sort of a thing uh because i feel like we get this all the time now right like with the ever-present social media uh, i was well aware of shit people were saying about the last of us part two well before it came out just because of fucking twitter right, right. like and to you have m- to try to avoid things nowadays yeah but this it feels like such a modern phenomenon but it it was present here, and I imagine that, you know, like, game facts and, and message boards are the culprit here, but mm-hmm. it's just weird to me to think that there was, like, a mass group of people who were like, can't wait to be Solid Snake. What? I'm not Solid Snake? I'm this baby man? Uh, is channeling my inner JJ on that one. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> it's something that I think is really cool, though. Like, I wish that kind of stuff could happen nowadays um because like leaks are so common now mm-hmm. that there's no way they could put out a sequel to like a really popular game and hide information like this about it yeah or at least not of this size yeah yeah like nowadays like i think studios are so like paranoid about that kind of stuff that they just release too much information ahead of time uh, just to get ahead of it so it doesn't get leaked yeah that's true yeah with like smash brothers reveals are the only things i can think of uh that are actually surprises anymore and even those get fucking leaked sometimes yeah and even worse like the time that uh they spoiled that they were doing the simon belmont reveal because they just put up a castlevania song on the website accidentally yep like shit like that just happens all the time and uh yeah, it's it's it wouldn't really be possible to do this kind of a thing anymore. Which is sad for a high profile release anyway. Yeah. Uh but yeah, that's but that's kind of it for that cuz I didn't really experience this in real time. You obviously I didn't. I definitely either. didn't, yeah. So, I don't necessarily want to to linger on it other than it was a ballsy move and sort of plays into what the game does narratively, mm-hmm. which we'll get into a little bit later. So, yeah, I have a lot of respect for it. Um the closest thing I can relate to it is with um Kingdom Hearts 2, <laughs> where the first 6 hours you play as Roxas and not Sora. 
which was a surprise. So it's kind of a reverse of this game where you are playing at Snake as Snake for the first couple hours, and then you switch. Right. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 did the opposite, but... Um, and I notice that you say, I have a lot of respect for it, which is something that you say about a game that you... <laughs> that you wouldn't just say, I love it. Oh, I mean, specifically, like, having you play as not Snake. Like, that's a ballsy move. It really is. And I'd like to see big profile games take risks like that more often. What I'm trying to get at here is that... (laughs) I ruined your segue. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's fine. Well, I didn't want to put words in your mouth, so I'm glad that you clarified. Uh Um, I... This is one of my favorite games ever made, and it is a lot of nostalgia, and it is a lot of me playing it at the time, and it's also a lot of the sort of meta bullshit in the game that really drew me to it. Uh, And you, I don't think, had uh, a similarly enrapturing (laughs) experience. Um, At first, I really bounced off of this. Um, We just talked about um Devil May Cry. Yes. A uh, couple episodes ago and I remember talking about how like I just kind of click with older games cuz like I I just played a bunch of them and I have like a good memory for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I never really played anything like this and I really felt like <laughs> PS2 like jankiness with it, like the controls it felt like I was, like, fighting them for, like, the whole first third of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that did eventually, like, it definitely smoothed out as it went. Um, I was, like, really worried because I was, like, in my mind, like, we covered Metal Gear Solid 1, uh, like, a couple years ago. Yeah. And I remember, like, thinking back, I'm like, I think I liked Metal Gear Solid, you know? Like, <laughs> I, I think that I thought it was solid, nice. pun intended. Um, but... You know, and but then I booted this up, and I'm like, oh no, maybe I didn't really like it that much. Like, <laughs> I, I, I had I had these feelings of woe when I first started it, but then I I did a, a, adjust to it, yeah, uh, and it wasn't so bad, and I got into it. But it it, it took a while for me. Mm-hmm. I think uh, honestly, the thing I'm most happy about is that we did play Time Splitters Future Perfect. Mm on the PlayStation 2 before we played this game. And the reason for that is because the controls in Time Splitters feel like they age super bad. Um, they're a little bit too all over the place. The auto-aim is kind of, like, really necessary for you to be able to shoot anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of just sort of, like, general crustiness on the edges of that old, old PlayStation game. Mm-hmm. This game, on the other hand, we we played the HD collection this time around. Um, and in addition to that, the just generally speaking, the first-person aiming controls feel a lot smoother than the first-person aiming controls in Time Splitters. And... That was by far the most, like, jarring thing to go back to, mm-hmm. because even if it is much smoother than Time Splitters, it does not mean it is modern game smooth. Uh-huh. Uh, and it introduces so much complexity into the systems that just wasn't there in Metal Gear 1. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can't use the first-person aiming well, I can see liking Metal Gear 1 better from a mechanical standpoint because you never have to because it's not there. You just yeah. shoot guys with guns. Uh, but 
I don't know. I th- That was, to me, what was probably the biggest... The only, like, control issue that I ended up having that lasted pretty much all the way through the game is that sometimes you just wouldn't push up against a wall, yep, and you just run right out into the open. <laughs> I find that so frustrating, like, how often, like, you just kind of run by the wall instead of pushing into it. And it, like, gets you killed, yep. too. I was always... It it was easy to, like, kind of try to edge over to the side and to look around the corner and accidentally walk out. Right. (laughs) Uh, I was always a big complainer in uh, MGS3, which I know is a lot of people's favorite game. uh, In the series. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, in the series. And ever. Yeah. where, because it takes place in the woods, mm-hmm. you would press up against things, like, way too often. You'd just, like, bump into a tree and be like, and just grab against it. Uh-huh. I would much prefer it to be a little bit too oversensitive than undersensitive, which is what we have here, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, minor complaints. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I also, I had some trouble, like, because <laughs> it starts you off at the beginning on the tanker, and... Or the plant, which whichever one is first, I don't remember. The tanker, okay, yeah. plant, the yeah. tanker, big shell. Um, and it's just like <laughs> the first thing you do is like they introduce that first person aiming. They're like, all right, now lean up against the wall, and like you can look around it with uh, if you have the gun equipped by pressing what is it R one or square? Square pops. Yeah, out. square to pop out. But then if you don't have the gun, you can hit R two to look around the corner. Mm-hmm. But then like it's can you? I think you can also hit R one. Square then R one to look around the corner and then go to first person. Correct. So it's like three different ways to do a similar thing, yeah. and like I just found it to be like really confusing for like the first third to keep all that straight. Yeah, because like I would lean up against the wall and then want to hit R one to go into like first person, look around the corner, and that's not how it works. So you okay. hit square first, <laughs> uh, and then I would often like want to try and like. Uh, sneak up behind people and like choke them out mm-hmm. and then i would just have the gun still equipped you had to unequip the gun like there's a lot there's a there was a pretty steep learning curve i thought for me yeah and it's weird because uh I- i've played three obviously which has a really similar not wholly similar but like mostly similar basic control set uh and then I haven't played 4, and then I played 5, which is, like, a different kind of game. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how intentional the controls were, but they feel very, like, fluid in a way that, like, a lot of things will do similar <laughs> things. Yeah. Despite being mapped to totally different buttons. And that is, like, the golden example is, like, when you're against a wall, you can move left and right by hitting left and right on the control stick, you can do it by using L2 and R2. L2 will peek out from behind a wall to the left if you're on that side. Mm-hmm. The square pops out. But weirdly, when you pop out with square and then go into first person, when you come out of first person, you're no longer in the wall animation. You're just standing still. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's a lot and the game doesn't explain much (laughs) no it just like it gives you the one little tutorial and it's just like go yeah it doesn't even really tell you how to like unequip the gun yeah other than like hold r2 and then go to none which no one should do yeah um yeah and it took me a while to just like grasp the utility of the first person aiming as well Mm -hmm. like like pretty much any time 
you enter a room, like you go first person to look around it, mm-hmm. which was like, I don't know, it just felt kind of unintuitive to me because like it very much feels like it's designed like the first one, which yeah. doesn't have those uh, first person controls. So they feel like they're supposed to be situational, or at least they did to me. But in reality, you just want to be using it constantly. <laughs> So I like mean, yeah, like figuring that out, like I don't. It, there was just like as I said already, like a like a pretty big learning curve to like figure out how to use all the stuff you can do. Yeah, this game, I there's like there was something we talked about even on the first games episode um, about over reliance on the soliton radar, uh, which is like your mini map in the top right corner that shows where people are and what where they can see in a mm-hmm. vision cone, and from. Going from one to two, you can see how this game wanted to de-emphasize it a bit. Um, it still goes out in radar, which is the same as in the first game, and even uh, the the colonel gives the exact same explanation of the radar that is given in the first game, including the like line about how acclimate weather will knock it out, but that never happens. In this, yeah, yeah. So you have this, like, understanding of when it will go out, but then also chaff grenades, and in the plant chapter, you have to actually have activated the node, did I say nerd, (laughs) not nerd, node, in every uh, shell in order to uh, actually get the radar to work. Yeah, I really liked that change, personally. Yeah, I like it being something you have to earn. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it makes you have to become more familiar with the area yep. before you can just, like, make it a, vid- a video-ass game. Yeah, <laughs> there is, I think it was Shell F, I never found the node, mm. and I, yeah, I, I, I don't know, I, but you had to go back there a bunch, so I felt like I just kind of fucking learned it. Is that the one with, like, two floors? Yeah, and, and it's the... got all the locked rooms, so you could come back with a different key cards. Right, okay. Yeah, that one, I remember I didn't get it my first run through, uh, not of the game, because that was years ago and I remember nothing, uh-huh. um, but this time, my first time I went through there, I didn't find the node, and then later came back and was like, what the fuck, Chad? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad at myself for not getting the node, so I just went and grabbed it mm-hmm. after that. Uh, but yeah, I, I like that change as well. I like that it avoids letting you just rely on the radar all the time uh, in order to make use of the first-person aim. But also, I just kind of like the first-person aim because it feels very Metal Gear. Like, this is a very unique version of first-person aiming Mm -hmm. where the gun controls are weird and you can, like, let off the square button lightly to not shoot and you have the hold-up mechanic Mm -hmm. and stuff. There's a lot of interesting things that went into it. Um, as well as things that, like, obscure your vision when you're in first person, which is a very uh, Kojima thing to do at the time, even though it's, like, common parlance now. Yeah, and it um, it, it it's very much like a different mode. Like, you can't move around while you do it, mm-hmm. so it, it, it's so it's not too good. Yeah. Um, like, there, yeah, it does have a nice balance. Um, like, I always, I like, it always felt like it had a lot of utility, like, when you walk out of a shell, it's one of the bridges you look across the bridge to see like what's there. Like if there's a guard all the way on the other side, it just felt like it had a lot of utility there specifically. Um, but before we get too far away from the controls, yeah. Um, one thing that I 
that thought made the game feel a lot easier or kind of click with me is I started controlling it with the D-pad. Oh, yeah. After I got, like, uh, as I said, about a third of the way in. And I feel like it just controls way better like that. Uh, I don't know if that's a hot take or, you know, or <laughs> how people feel about that. But, like, it just, the way um, it's programmed, I think, like, the directional movement, the way it's handled, I think, just felt more natural um, with the D-pad to me. Yeah, I actually can kind of agree with that. Uh, if it is a hot take, I don't think it's one that's going to ruffle a lot of <laughs> <Yeah>. feathers. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's a thing that someone could easily just play through the whole game with the stick and not have even thought to try to use the D-pad. Mm-hmm. I definitely did on occasion, mostly just out of like, I'm curious if this works. Oh, it does. Uh, I cannot get used to the thumb position that you need for the mm. d-pad on a playstation controller which is we played this on the playstation 3 if anybody gives a shit uh-huh. <laughs> uh but that was that was like the only reason that i wouldn't use it also in boss fights and stuff i find mm. it a lot easier to to dodge weirdly with the with the control stick yeah i ended up using it on the final boss to like because mm. you had to run around a bunch yeah god i'm excited to talk about all these things yeah uh, I feel like what I want to center in on, and this kind of like stems off of the first person aiming com- conversation, um, is the plethora of mechanics in mm-hmm. this game and how they all interact with each other. Um, this is something we mentioned a bit on the first game podcast, but in Metal Gear 1, this isn't as pronounced as it is in Metal Gear 2. There is a, 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 a large number of tools at your disposal, and in addition, like those tools can sometimes interact with other things in strange ways. Mm-hmm. So you have things like the box, which is the classic thing in the Metal Gear franchise, uh, which can obviously be used to hide from guards, though just like in the first game, not very effectively. It's mm-hmm. it's really only useful in a few specific locations. Yeah, I didn't even try it even once. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. There's yeah. lots of stuff I didn't do on this, like, single playthrough. Yeah, I remembered it not really feeling like it was any good in the first one, so mm-hmm. I didn't even bother. There is a zone in this game, I believe, I may be confusing games at this point, mm-hmm. where you can get up, I think it's in the, the shipping area, you can get on the conveyor belt and put the box on uh, and be delivered to a different shell, uh, which is cute and interesting. Um, and like that, and that's just like one example. The one of the new mechanics in this game that I absolutely love uh, is the is lockers and being able to stuff bodies into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, corpses no longer disappear like they did in the first game. So when you knock somebody out you can stuff them into a locker and then one people won't be able to find them but then also you can do things like throw a magazine at the locker door uh and confuse another guard to come look at it when he opens the door the corpse will fall on him and there you go two for one combo deal one bullet two guards Mm -hmm. uh i love doing that kind of a thing Uh, hiding in the lockers is also like a a nice touch you can hear your heartbeat when you're doing it yep um 
Which plays nicely with the rumble mechanic as well. Yeah. Isn't that only when it's like in an alert phase, like after you've already been seen? Yeah. So you can like, and it, your heart will speed up or slow down in order to tell you how far away the guards are. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's really clever, and they use a lot of things diegetically to explain the game mechanics. Yeah. I found that I I also liked the locker thing, but ended up not using it that much because it it felt like there were a lot of them early, and then they kind of it just kind of stopped being a thing <laughs> as it went on. I mean, I remember I um, did such a bad job uh, <laughs> uh-huh. post aims. Mm. Uh, where I actually ran out of lockers in that zone. (laughs) I I kept getting caught by, like, the last guy and then stuffing all the bodies into the lockers on the first floor. (laughs) And then, like, going to hide and more reinforcements would show up. It usually felt like it wasn't worth it to, like, move the bodies to me. Because you don't... There aren't a ton of rooms you spend a lot of time in. Right. I would say that they're... Part of the reason that I love these things, like mm-hmm. the lockers and the, you know, you l- do 100 pull-ups to level up the grip gauge, is that I am just a big fan of the game. Mm-hmm. And th- while their practical use is pretty small, the immersive use is where I, like, yeah. put my stock in it. So I don't blame you or anyone else <laughs> for not engaging with certain things. Yeah. But to me, that's, like, the charm here. No, yeah, I don't disagree, but I I think that stuff's super cool, and I like find myself wanting to engage with it. A good comparison here is um, that just came to mind is like at the end of like Earthbound, mm. where you can go around the whole game world and talk to everybody. I feel like that's a really cool idea, but then like I do it a little bit, and I'm like, I'm okay, I'm I'm done with this. Right. You know, like <laughs> it, it feels like. It's just a little bit too time consuming or it's like a little bit, it's not quite practical enough that it, you do it a couple times and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I wish they were a little bit more useful because uh, they are fun. Yeah. There's definitely like an element of, there's like a, a, man, what is a good comparison to this? Like, I want to say immersive sim, something like along the lines of, like an arcane game or uh, uh, like a system shock type thing where every time you go into a room that has enemies in it, it's like, how do you want to take this room on? Mm-hmm. And like, you have several valid options to go about doing it. You can avoid people completely. You can kill the whole room with guns uh, and anything in between. And so as somebody who's played the game through a lot of times, it it often comes down to like what do I think would be an interesting way to deal with this room, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's to put like the book on the ground to distract the guard, you know, the porno, the porno mag, uh, to get old fucking Deputy Loomis, <laughs> uh, to come by and he take got a, a job on the on the big shell. <laughs> yeah, so then you can go and choke the guy out or whatever, and. Mm-hmm. You can assist him in climaxing <laughs> exactly. by choking him. If I had a list of topics <laughs> that I didn't think would come up, auto erotic, well, not even auto, because it's, it's assisted uh-huh. erotic asphyxiation, mm-hmm. would not be one of them. Uh, but here we are. Uh, yeah, so you could do that. 
<laughs> As Kojima intended. Exactly. Uh, and also, like, there are a few, like, Metal Gear 2 Easter eggs that are, like, in the fucking halls of, of fame, of Easter eggs, that everyone has to talk about whenever they talk about the game. Uh, during the conversation between Ocelot and Solidus, you can point the directional mic off to the left and listen to a guy take a shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the uh, Marine who apparently didn't have enough time to put pants on before the speech in the tanker chapter that you can take a picture of and send to Otacon. Um, there's a few things like that that are just like the, the, the fucking talked about Easter eggs. Yeah, one of the ones that I found that was pointed out that I thought was really cool is at a certain point in the game, you can go like a different direction than you're supposed to go. And you can find snake going across the bridge with the box over him. Yeah. <laughs> and he gets the little like exclamation point over his head and, and it goes faster. And he, he runs faster. Yeah. Yeah. That one is a classic. That's very cool. The, the one that I made it a point to do this time around was if you take the directional mic into the computer room, uh, you can yell at the bird and be like, are you Ames? Mm. Over and over again. Uh, and eventually the bird will learn the word Ames and start saying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is funny and doesn't really do anything, which is sad. Because I feel like that should be very alarming for some of the people in the in that <laughs> yeah. area. Uh, we, talked, we touched on this when we talked about the first one. Um, a lot of these things are so clever and cool that it... it it makes your mind race with possibilities. Mm-hmm. And then when those possibilities aren't there, there's like a weird kind of like, Oh, I don't know what I was expecting. Yeah. Kind of feeling like I remember, um, uh, talking specifically in the first one with the handkerchief. Yes. Um, I remember thinking like, it would be really cool if like, w- cause you can catch a cold in metal gear. It's one of like the cool things. It's like you could use the handkerchief and then plant it on a guard to get them sick or something. Right. But like you, you can't do stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you can't, re- you can't hold it against the game or anything, obviously. But like you do, it, it's a weird feeling, because mm-hmm. like the game gets you thinking like that. Yeah, it's it's like a weird. It wants it makes promises that it itself yeah. can't like, fulfill. It obviously wants you to think like that so that you'll figure these things out. Mm-hmm. But then your imagination will carry you a bit too far. <laughs> uh. But yeah, that's that is that, and the 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 special Kodak conversations and stuff. I think are kind of a a nice touch as well. Uh, shooting the seagulls, making everybody call you a monster, mm-hmm. uh, and things like. And that's actually the bird crap that you can fall on at the very beginning of the game comes back to haunt you uh-huh. horribly after the fucking Harrier fight where you have to cross a narrow pipe. That is covered in bird shit. So yeah. you just fall into the ocean and die. Yeah, I weirdly have in my notes that the seagulls are like a weirdly standout like feature. Um, especially for the time, I feel like if games had anything like that, like environmental detail, mm-hmm. it was just like a crude two-frame animation in the skybox of some birds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in this, like they're an, like an actual like part of the game world. Yeah. Um. In a way that you still don't really see in games a lot. Like, they actually feel like they have a presence. Mm-hmm. And I just, it weirdly stood out. Like, they, they feel like their own, like, part of the game. The seagulls. <laughs> the seagull part. Yeah. And it's weird because you can, there's actually, like, a difference 
uh, between shooting a seagull with a gun and tranquilizing it. Like, mm. it will fall and give the little blue Zs if you trank a, a seagull. Mm-hmm. It's weird that they even went as far as to make that distinction because I don't think that a seagull would survive. <laughs> yeah, you could come up behind the seagull tra- and, like, choke them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's just like they feel like they roost in places that make sense. Like there's like a, they just yeah they weirdly stand out. Yeah, yeah, no excellent seagulls in this game. Mm-hmm. Excellent and the bird, the parrot that you learn that mm. can learn the words. Just a great bird game all <laughs> all around. Uh, <laughs> um, God, okay. Do you have other things specifically on on uh, mechanics and stuff? Because I was going to talk about sort of like the actual stealth in this game. That makes sense. All right. Uh, so I live in a a big hole of self doubt uh-huh. at all times because I don't like stealth games, and this is like one of my favorite games ever made. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to reconcile that with myself. And I don't know exactly what it is about it. I think it's because this game is like a 30-minute stealth game <laughs> and then is 11 hours of dialogue, cutscenes, and boss fights. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it is just sort of running around. I, I haven't played this game in a long time, but I... It, that long time ago, I played this game a bunch of times mm-hmm. and was very used to doing this game as a non-lethal playthrough. That used to just be the way I played the game mm-hmm. um, after like my first couple of playthroughs. And it was very freeing and weird to go back to just murdering a guy on occasion in this game. Um, and... On top of that, I am very bad at this now. Like, I'm not very bad, maybe, but, like, not good, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, and it was interesting that I didn't get frustrated with it and mostly was able to manipulate the game in the way that I wanted to when I would get caught. And when I died, it was mostly a, like, I laughed it off sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. You probably don't have a ton of stealth games under your belt. No, I don't really like them either. Yeah. Um, yeah, something like Mark of the Ninja, mm. and it's like a super popular uh, stealth indie game. I remember playing and just being like, eh. Like, it, it's fine. Yeah. Like, I don't know. There's something about stealth games that don't quite do it for me. But um, I don't know. I feel like even that being said, like... I'd never played or know of another stealth game that's anything like Metal Gear Solid. Like, it definitely, think, stands out from its contemporaries. Yeah, and I think that's mostly true. I think that there's an ease of stealth in this game that is not necessarily true in a lot of other games. Like, obviously, you can crank the difficulty up, and it becomes a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. It's a dumb sentence. Uh, <laughs> but I'm rolling with it. Um but for the most part, you can kind of, as long as you take your time and are pretty chill, you can avoid detection and stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you are detected, the game is very lenient with how punishing that's going to be. Uh, in most instances, you can literally just leave 
and come back and everything will be more or less normal. Yeah, like there really aren't that many guards uh, for how much space there is. And if like you know what you're doing, like if you're coming back through areas a bunch, like you can run through a room, just like flip kick the guard and <laughs> knock him over and then just run out the other door. Yes. Uh, and nothing bad will happen to you. Mm-hmm. So like you can you can circumvent a lot of the stealth if you want to. Yeah. It's it's almost weird in that way, and I think might be the answer to why it is that I'm more okay with this game than other stealth games. Uh, it is it's a lot of a lot of that, a lot of learn the thing, and then you can do like fifty different ways to get through an area without it even being a problem. After mm-hmm. that, uh, it's strange. I don't know, um, but yeah, the that's. That, that is my conflict. Um, the way that I think the game handles stealth, though, is actually really... It's a fun set of mechanics in a way that I don't associate with sneaking in games where it isn't the main focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have an, uh, The geometry and level design is really cool. Um, and it does a lot more than just put waist-high walls everywhere that you can crouch against. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite areas uh is in that strut f where you can if you go around where the stairs are there's just a vent on the ground that leads into a storage room Mm. and so you can sort of if you get caught kite air kite enemies into that area and then just fucking crawl out and just like lost them they'll never find me in this slightly different room Mm -hmm. uh and in addition to that, because it's, like, too layered, you can do the thing where you flip over and drop down. There's a lot of, like, interesting environment interaction that makes it fun to be sneaky. Mm-hmm. You feel like you can run circles around the guards if you know what you're doing. Yeah. And then when you try and run straight through the guards, they will punch you at an inopportune <laughs> time and shoot you to death. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so I think a, a good thing to transition to talking about is the big shell itself, mm-hmm. like the setting of the game. Uh, it might be uh, a loaded question to ask you this because <laughs> it's one of your favorite games ever, but I just wanted to ask you what you thought of it as a setting for a video game. Uh, I like big shell conceptually a mm-hmm. lot. Um I think that the idea of like an environmental containment facility, uh, and especially the like bizarro, like big center zone and like the radial areas outside of it, is a g- cool idea and cool in design. I think that the inside rooms of most of the shell are a little boring and bland. Yeah. <clears throat> The bridges are great. I love the bridge <laughs> zones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found it to be pretty, like, a pretty bland and boring setting. You picked the exact right words that I was going to use. Uh, which I found to be, like, pretty disappointing. Like, I felt like there was, like, no variety. Yeah. Um, but I was, I don't like, know. And then the outside is all orange, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't know, just, like, military facility. I don't know, it just doesn't quite... Or it's not a military facility, but like uh just like the the sterile like 
I don't know. Like, it just felt kind of boring to me. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, like, when you say sterile in this context. It's like, it's very much like the Valve look, uh, where everything in a Half-Life game was, like, blocky straight corridors, because that's what the engine mm-hmm. was good at. This is very much the Metal Gear look, where it's, like, lots of... Very basic, simple, flat colors and doors that slide open when you get near them. Mm-hmm. Like, that sort of a thing is, is like, in the Metal Gear... Wheelhouse. Yeah, the comfort zone, for sure. Uh, it does feel like a lot of the zones inside of the struts could have been lifted directly from Metal Gear Solid 1 and just pasted right in. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I would argue, if I was an apologist, mm-hmm. which I am, that maybe that was the point, and the reason that the shells are modular is so that when they designed Big Shell as part of the Solid Snake simulation project, mm-hmm. they intentionally made it as much like Metal Gear 1 as possible, which the end result being you have these cool, beautiful, orange outside areas, and these lame square <laughs> yeah like at least the first one though had like the freezer and like the furnace and stuff that yeah. felt like some variety it had the dinosaur zone and the yeah, and the one space in space zone, yeah. <laughs> yes it did have a fire and an ice area yeah and like yeah in the beginning it was like snowy outside and stuff which introduced the like breath Thing mm-hmm. where enemies could see you breathing, which was stuff. cool. Yeah, and footprints, which this game does a little bit of, but not as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and we haven't even talked about like where the game actually is bad at times. <laughs> like swimming is pretty bad. I actually found that to be like not even half as bad as I expected it to be. Uh, That's the best news I've heard all day. Yeah, like that part was so short. Like when I first like approached that flooded area and then he like walks down into the water and I'm like oh no a swimming section that <laughs> sound the alarms play all the sound effects mm-hmm. here's the early 2000s forced variety gotta have a swimming section yeah and they do but it's so brief I was like oh thank god yeah it, it is very <laughs> short I feel like there's there's like I even have this and I I think that I am in full control of my mind and mm-hmm. and and have an understanding of how I think and feel. I have an association with the Emma Emmerich part that is like a visceral distaste, you know? Yeah. Like I remember tranquilizing her to drag her through the bugs <laughs> so that I didn't have to spray them with the coolant. Oh my god, I wouldn't even thought that's more that exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool stuff that you can do in the game. Yeah. You can you can just trank Emma and drag her into the elevator so that she doesn't complain about the bugs. I did that this time. It takes like three seconds to spray the bugs with the yeah. coolant. I have no idea why I felt so strongly about it. I will say that getting Emma through the mine the minefield, their mines, <laughs> yeah, sea mines for no reason, no reason at all. I have no idea how anyone could justify those being there, mm-hmm. other than it being a video game, which in fucking Kojima in the with a background of space and his brain is exploding out of his head mm-hmm. uh, in the meme that I'm inventing right now. Uh-huh. Uh, fucking, maybe that's intentional. Maybe he's like, if I put mines here, everyone's going to know 
that the whole thing is like they're gonna start piecing it together. The <laughs> VR, the snake is in the room. Pliskin is there. He takes his name from a movie and all this shit. And we, and they'll just figure it out if I put these dumb lines here. <laughs> but even without that, it just doesn't make sense. And it do, it just doesn't take very long to do. No, it's very very short. No, nah, but it does suck a bit. <laughs> It's yeah. not a fun zone uh, of the game. No. <laughs> I got off a bit there, didn't I? Yeah. Um, Reel it back in. Yeah. Do you want to uh, talk about... I got caught up on things in the game that suck. Oh, yeah. And I have, I got the Emma Emmerich part out of the way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are probably a few other things that I could call out that I don't love. Uh, the Claymore mines when she's walking across the bridge mm. irritate me because they don't give you any indication they're there until she's already died once. Yeah. Uh, but I want to talk about boss fights. And I was wondering if we wanted to save that until after a break. After the break. After the break. (laughs) Kept you waiting, huh? (laughs) Welcome back. Uh, so, like I said at the end of the last half, I want to talk about the bosses, but I think that should neatly bring us toward the end of the game so that we can sort of start moving forward with the, with the story stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So, I, I want to know how, and from the perspective of me being a big fan of Metal Gear 1 and 2, Mm-hmm. Uh, how the bosses worked for you, because overall I feel like they're weaker in this game than they were in the first one, but also I didn't like them in the first one that much either. Uh, I think I feel exactly the same way. Um, it's weird, it's, how do I want to phrase this? Uh, it's just, it feels like these mechanics are not made for boss fights. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the they try really hard to like make interesting set piece bosses um to like very mixed success yes i think one of my favorite things that happened while you were playing the game mm-hmm. is you just being like man the harrier fight was like actually playable <laughs> Yeah, this time around. Yeah, because the hind fight in the first game is like just butts, uh, and in this At least game, I remember it that way. No, it is <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hate the harrier, and I don't love, or I hate the hind rather. Mm-hmm. I don't love the harrier, but I think that it is much better uh, as far as fighting a plane goes. Mm-hmm. Um, the the game basically has boss fights that are like regular boss fights where you shoot a guy until he is dead. Mm-hmm. But then they just layer on 
all of this extra shit on top of it. And that's why you're playing the game more so than in other games, I think. Like, the the wrinkles to the boss fights that don't involve just reducing their health bar to zero are the things that make them unique and cool, but they never quite break out of the box of not great, I feel. I think the only ones in this game that I genuinely enjoy and I don't think that you agree, mm-hmm. are Fat Man and uh, Solidus, I think, mm-hmm. are both good. Um, and then everything else is just kind of like, sure, there's, <laughs> that is a thing I did. <laughs> yeah, I thought Solidus was fine. Uh, I the, the Fat Man fight was my least favorite fight in the game, mm-hmm. and probably one of my least favorite boss fights that I've done in a long time. <laughs> Um, because he just rollerblades around and is rarely visible for more than, like, 0.2 seconds. <laughs> so he's very hard to shoot at. He sure is. It's it's interesting, because, like, Fat Man is the... Like, that fight probably took me an hour to beat. <laughs> I'm really... I love that for me, and mm-hmm. not for you. Uh... Because Fat Man is the is the Vulcan Raven of this game, where you are doing stuff in a area full of symmetrically laid out shipping containers. Yeah, uh, and you shoot the guy when he becomes visible. But it is questionable how infrequently he's vulnerable. Uh, it is it is hard to do, but once you get the hang of it, it's it's insultingly easy Mm. that's i think is its worst like aspect is it's a boss that's really really hard until it isn't and then it isn't hard ever again because once you kind of like get the rhythm down and you're like okay go fucking you get rid of the bombs Mm -hmm. then you wait until he starts moonwalking and then you just empty a clip into him so he falls over shoot him one time and then go back to doing what you were doing until he's like, let's take a break from bombs. Mm-hmm. And-, <laughs> and he will proceed to never plant any more bombs and just only skate around. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's not great design. I won't argue that it is. Uh-huh. Uh, I just find it to be fun to do on occasion. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, the, and even that that one has very few wrinkles to it as well because really, it is just a shoot game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olga, which is the first boss in the game, uh, which I also think is generally fine. Yeah, if I feel like if I didn't suck so hard because I had just started, I would have liked that one more. Yeah, it has the interesting. I I am too set in my ways at this point to know exactly how it feels the first time. But watching you do it the first time made me kind of feel like I understood how it would feel the first time. Because uh-huh. when I started playing this game, I got in there and then just reflexively shot off the tarp and the light mm. before she had done anything with them. I was just like, get rid of those. And then I just shot her in the head a lot. That's another thing to tie back into the this ga- these games make your imagination race. Because, like, there are multiple things throughout the game, those two being really good examples, where the answer is just, you just shoot it. <laughs> and, like, I, ne- I it would have taken me so long to be like, 
oh, I'll shoot the tarp, and that'll make it fly off. It makes way more mm-hmm. sense with the light. Um, uh, that's true, yeah. But, like, I, yeah, because <laughs> it was just blowing there, and I'm, like, trying to figure out what to do, and you're like, you just shoot it off. And yeah. I'm like, you shoot it off? <laughs> the fuck are you talking about yeah it feels like designed by omission to some extent where it's like you don't have any other option true but even then i thought it was something like you had to wait for it to blow in a different direction yeah and then you'd be able to hit her or something that's actually clever i kind of wish they would have done something like that well yeah it's like um later on um we had to shoot all of the explosives on the bridge yeah like the control things there's one behind a flag you had to wait for it to like blow out of the way so you can see it. Right. So you don't blow yourself up. Yeah. I was that sort of thing. Shocked and appalled at myself for not dying in that section this time. Oh yeah. I feel like I die every time on that bridge. Like <laughs> yeah. I'll just forget one of them. <laughs> yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see me die like four times to that Excellent. at least, yeah. That's how it should be. I, I, I mean, I didn't know there was going to be a little scene once I found them all. Yeah. And the the one on the cipher is a particularly mm. brilliant placement, in my opinion. Uh, I liked those parts. We're not talking about bosses right now. <laughs> no. Shooting the, the C4 control units, yeah, I thought, was. was a cool... Not just that set piece, but that as a mechanic, I think, is an interesting one. Uh, yeah, I agree. Because it just sort of, it puts the first person aiming to, uh, like, puts it to task. It makes you actually use it. Yeah, and just to um, not overlook it, I really hate how much gun sway there is on the sniper rifle. I think it's comically too much. Yeah. I, I only, okay, so for the viewer's benefit, you obviously know this because you are you. Yes. I only watched you play the beginning of this game, so there was a lot of, like... Yeah, so you saw me suck real bad. Yes. But it also means that there were a lot of tips and tricks that mm. you did not get from me. Um, did you know... You can smoke the cigarettes? Yeah. And also Pentazamin right. is specifically for that. Yeah. So, yes, it is comically bad, <laughs> but I think it's there to encourage you to use the items. It just doesn't seem like a, a good mechanic to me. It's like, <laughs> oh, the gun goes all over the place. Take this pill. Like, mm-hmm. what's the point of that? I, <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> Pentazamin was in the first game. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I just, I just don't like that. Yeah. I, uh... I never thought about it, if I'm being honest. The cigarettes, I think, is a way clever thing. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I still don't. I think it's dumb. Also presents a lot lot clearer of, like, a risk-reward as well, because it does drain your health. Yeah, yeah, that that makes it make some kind of sense. Yeah. The potassium is just like a you get a minute of not swaying with the sniper rifle mm-hmm. and i did i used i had the full 10 pentasm and i used like nine of them during the bridge segment where you mm. have to use the psg1 so yeah i i don't love it either in retrospect but it's i can't say it's anything that i ever thought of before mm-hmm. all right you want to go back to talking about the bosses yeah who's after fat man well fortune is technically before fat man but it's not does, much of a yeah, boss does that fight. even really count <laughs> It, it, it no first of all because it isn't well yes let's say it does count because what i said before was that all of the bosses are essentially just 
get their health bar to zero. And Fortune's isn't. So that gets a bit of a shout out. It's yeah. like just an obstacle course, essentially. Yeah, he's had to avoid getting shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very short. Though. Yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't really feel like a boss fight to me. And it leads directly into another boss fight as well, so. Mm -hmm. And then you get the the plane. Yeah, the Harrier. And then Vamp, right? Yeah, I think Vamp would be next. The the boss fight density picks up near the end, Mm -hmm. uh, which is is unfortunate. Uh, But I really hate Vamp. Uh, it's my least favorite boss fight in the game, and I think it's just because I'm super bad at the game uh, more than anything else. And I would be curious as to how you took to Vamp, because I've heard people say that it's, like, the best boss fight in the game. Um, It was probably my second favorite of them all, um, but I also suck at the game, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but... Um... Like, the part where he pins your shadow to the ground. Yes. And I don't like that part, but, like, just, like, playing it, like, because I had to do it several times. Like, I, I enjoy the fight up till that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I I ended up Googling something about the fight and found out you can shoot the lights. So... Yeah. And then I thought it was fine after that. I probably played this game three times through before I realized that what he was doing. Yeah, was I had no idea that's what was happening. Yeah, I also love Vamp in the context of the story of the game, and particularly at the end when uh, uh, Shalashashka, aka Revolver Ocelot, aka Liquid Snake, mm-hmm. uh, is like, "There's no such thing as magic or what luck." When he's talking to Fortune. Uh-huh. But he employs Vamp, who can... Who is a vampire. Who can nail your shadow to the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of the stuff Vamp does, sure, maybe you could explain it with something. Pinning your shadow to the ground makes no sense. Well, he got shot right in the head. And he <laughs> came back, yes. Multiple times. Yeah. It's so weird to me um, that there isn't any, like, payoff mm. for him being a vampire. Yeah. Like, it feels like it's setting up for there to be some kind of clever way to kill him. Like, I know it would be really corny, but, like, you don't have to use, like, a silver bullet or, like, shoot anything through his heart. Yep. Or anything <laughs> like that. You just shoot him in the head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that kills him. Like, well, it's like, why Why did it work this time? I mostly shot him with grenades. Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, on the bridge. Oh, He yeah. comes back, and then, like, you, you shoot him in the head four times, and then he dies. <laughs> Man, my first, so the first vamp encounter for me sucked because I'm bad, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. and I just had a hard time with it. And I was doing the stuff I remembered about the fight to make it as easy as I could, but I would constantly get into situations where I would like cartwheel into the water and die. I did do that at least <laughs> once. Yeah. yeah, and like just lots of shit, and then I would lose and get frustrated and have to start over. Mm-hmm. But eventually I got through to him. With grenades. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then moved on. And then the second fight, I ran out of bullets, mm-hmm. of, of PSG1 bullets, and did not pick up the extra ones mm-hmm. that are there prior to when he grabs Emma. And the downside of that is that it cuts down on the amount of time that you have to actually right. kill him. So I ended up using the tranquilizer version of the sniper. <laughs> To Trank Vamp 
to death. Wow. And that takes more than four hits and was difficult. But Sounds I d- like it. Did get him though, eventually. Uh it's I should have let Snake do the shooting long before I mm-hmm. just ran out of bullets, but here we are. Yeah, they just keep respawning. Mm-hmm. So you can just pick up as as much as you want. Yep. Just keep getting those bullets and then not be out when the fight starts. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's Vamp. I think Vamp is a cool character because of the sort of buildup around him. But then, like you said, there's no payoff to mm-hmm. him being a vampire. His He feels like a non-element that just shows up in the plot in order to kill Emma and move on. Mm -hmm. And it it just seems strange, and I don't, in the end, really love him. Yeah, I kind of felt that way about, like, all of Dead Cell, with the exception of Fat Man, who actually, like, did something that affected you, and you had to, like, defuse all his bombs before you went and killed him. Oh, yeah, we gotta shout out the bomb under Fat Man as being a very good move. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, yeah, though, I agree <laughs> with that. I think that Dead Cell is worse overall design-wise um, than than Foxhound was. Yeah. Uh, though, I like Fortune as a character. Uh, I don't like Vamp as a character. <laughs> I like Fat Man. It's really sort of, like, up and down. Yeah, it just, it felt like there was just a... L- lot of missed potential or like like no payoffs for setups like it really felt like you were gonna have to kill fortune mm-hmm. like as like a whole emotional thing like especially after you get the sword i'm like oh this is how you'll kill her because you can't shoot her mm-hmm. you you know you'll like you know i don't know it just felt like it was setting up for like actually fighting her again after the first fight and then you don't yeah there's even that, that scene where really you weird. leave Snake to fight her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you think Raiden's going to turn around like eight times, and he never does. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. I do. Uh, I got to say, it, like a lot of things in this game, the impression that they left on me, I felt was more important than the actual effect they had in the game. Sure. Uh, and as little as it ever comes up, anytime I have to remember what side of the body the heart is on, <laughs> I think of that line where uh, Revolver Ocelot's like, oh, I remember. Your heart's on the right because mm-hmm. it's on the wrong side of the body. And I'm like, aha, yes, heart, left side. Got yeah. it? Anytime that you need to remember, you could just put your hand to your chest. Nope. <laughs> I, I got to think about Metal Gear. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, and then that brings us to effectively our last two boss fights, which round out the game, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Metal Gear Ray nonsense boss, mm-hmm. uh, where you shoot missiles at Metal Gears until they tell you to stop. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you're a restaurant uh, fucking pepper grinder. Right. Uh, but the pepper is made of missiles. And the salad is uh, Metal Gear Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to call out the one thing that I love about this boss fight, and that is I love Metal Gear Ray's design. I think it looks super sick. It does uh, look cool. I would like a two-foot like model of one for the house. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing I like about this. <laughs> yeah, it... it... 
Honestly, I think I'd like the fight if you just had to kill three of them. Mm. Like it seems like is initially going to be. Um, but you, if you're playing on normal anyway, which is what I did, you have to kill six of them. Yes. And it's very unclear that that's what you're supposed to do. Um, so I kept feeling like, I kept dying and being like, am I doing something wrong? And then I would try to like damage them all evenly. Mm-hmm. So it was because I was like, do I have to kill them all like essentially at the same time so that they don't keep respawning? And I wasted a bunch of time doing that because it makes the fight harder. Uh, <laughs> so I kept dying. Uh, and But it's like, no, you just have to keep going until you kill six. And once you know that, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just like, I feel like it. there's nothing in there to signal what's happening in a way that rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Um, I will say, like, I mean, it makes sense to me that you would, like, just fight the Metal Gears, even if you didn't know when the fight was going to end. Mm -hmm. But then also, I didn't consider, yeah, if you think that you're just not doing it right... Yeah, well, it's what it seems like. (laughs) It could really... Because it's just the same... It's not like... At least I didn't pay that close of attention because I'm in the middle of a fight. Uh Uh-huh. But, like, it's just the same three Metal Gears, and they just keep coming back. No, they have different... Does the number change each time? Yeah, they have different model numbers. I see. I thought it was just the same three, and they kept getting, like, rejuvenated. Yeah, I think there's, like, not an Easter egg necessarily, but, like, the name Spell something. Mm. I don't remember. Either way... I totally sympathize with that, though. Like, I feel like it makes sense that you wouldn't yeah. think that you were doing it correct. I do also like that they bleed. I don't understand why they bleed. Is that not just oil? Presumably, but it's also, like, a little red. I mean, so is oil. Like, if it's not, like, crude, like, been used before. Uh... uh it's just a weird touch. Sure. Even, like, to just spew oil out is a weird <laughs> thing for a machine to do. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I like Ray's design. I don't really like the fight. It feels like, regardless of difficulty, it feels like it takes too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, it's just not that... I guess it's tense, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's, that's that one. Mm-hmm. Then you go for a ride of a long, long, long cutscene. Mm-hmm. Uh, a cutscene that is like, not not joking, like forty minutes, where I might be joking. Uh-huh. I didn't time it, but you go through a lot. There's like the sequence where Olga shows back up mm-hmm. and gets killed, and then the showdown where. Everyone double crosses everyone else like a bunch of times. And Fortune is actually psychic. Yes, and yeah, deflects the missiles and shit after being shot. And then uh, fucking they, uh, Ocelot takes the Metal Gear, jumps off the edge of Arsenal. Snake jumps after him, just fucking raw dog. Right. <laughs> and Solidus knocks you onto the fucking what building? It's an important building, and I'm forgetting what it, what it was in New York. Mm-hmm. And I also don't remember, so don't feel too bad. Good. There's a big codec call that takes like a long time with the fucking Colonel and Rose, mm-hmm. and then you get the Solidus fight. Where you fucking sword fight Doc Ock. 
and it's insanity. Yeah. Uh, I love that fight, and I love that whole long string of cutscenes. Yeah, I-, I thought the fight was good. I wouldn't say that I loved it or anything, but uh, I-, I like that it's a sword fight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's better than just punching him. It sure is. That's how they stepped it up from yeah. Metal Gear Solid 1 to 2. Yeah, and I actually thought that his second phase was easier, personally. like It, it felt like um, he could, like block with the tentacles like your attacks like you it's like sometimes like a lot of the most of the time i'd go in to like hit him when he was vulnerable and it would hit him you know it would do damage but then other times it was like the exact same approach exact same angle mm-hmm. and it would bounce off of him i don't know exactly what was going on with that but uh that was like the hardest thing about the fight to me yeah. And then in the second phase he loses the arms so that doesn't happen yeah you're like <laughs> yeah I did the solidest pose there for anybody. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was glorious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I kind of agree with that. I complained a bit on the, a little bit. I complained a very small amount on the No More Heroes podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, and one of those complaints was that the bosses have a tendency to not telegraph when they're vulnerable very well. Mm-hmm. And this game kind of does a lot of the same stuff. Oh, yeah, I'd say Metal Gear does that pretty hard and solidus is debatably one of the worst offenders in this game there's a little bit of justification for it because of the octopus arms sure uh, he's also the final boss so yeah but for the most part it was just sort of i ran around behind him and i did two hits and then i ran around some more mm-hmm. um it felt it felt good in the way that like doing something that you remember from your childhood feels <laughs> sure when i played it this time and i did it in one go which is uh maybe the first time in my life that i have because i think i was so young when i played it most of the other times mm-hmm. but uh, i felt very strong afterward which felt is like good. a big man i felt like a big man <laughs> uh and then he falls off the fucking building mm-hmm uh, and that concludes the story of Metal Gear Solid 2. So what happened in in that? Uh, okay. So I think the big other um, twist in this that's not just you don't play a snake mm-hmm. um, is that uh, it raises the question, like, once you get later into the game, of whether or not any of it's real. Yes. Because um, they throw up the whole concept of VR left and right, um, and then once you upload the virus um, from Emma, the kernel starts acting weird. Like, he glitches out, um, calling into question, yeah, like, whether or not things are real. And then you have, like, the best quote in the game when you run into Snake and he has the headband on. He says, <laughs> infinite ammo. <laughs> um, also making it seem very not real. And then the whole, like, Metal Gear ray fight like you go up a ladder and then you're just like in a vr holodeck room but then you're not and you know like it's just like it really blurs the line like what's real and what isn't yeah and in all of the areas in arsenal gear um there's a lot there's sort of a lot here to unpack as far <laughs> it's an understatement yeah as far as like how far does the metaphor go uh, in terms of the game, I think that my interpretation largely is that the entirety of the game is just sort of aware of the fact that it's a video game more than anything else. Like, mm-hmm. I think that whatever happens in the story is sort of understood as part of Metal Gear to not be a real thing. 
but obviously leaving open the interpretation that the characters themselves have their own in fiction lives Mm -hmm. and whether those things are happening to them. But people historically throughout the series audibly using words like action button, it seems like an indicator to me that the, the whole thing is very aware of itself as, as a video game. And when you look at Kojima going forward, you see that he does this all the time. Death mm-hmm. Stranding has a shitload of these things in it. Um, but I want to point out that the uh, when you're in Arsenal Gear, the floor has like the location data of where you are scrolling on it all the time. Mm-hmm. And they all have like body names, and they're very like uh, I believe the the boss fight arena is called Arsenal Gear Rectum, and it just says that scrolling on the floor, like, (laughs) all over it, and it's super strange to see uh, in the game. But yeah, you, like, travel through Arsenal Gear's, like, body as you go from area to area, and... Mm -hmm. uh, And the colonel bugs out and and freaks on you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was the thing that made that shot this game to a perfect 10 for me when I was a kid. Uh, that was like the thing that blew my mind and destroyed my thoughts about everything. Mm-hmm. And I finally understood what media criticism was. <laughs> and I started reading Noam Chomsky, uh-huh. uh, all of that just because of this one moment. Um, those were all jokes. Um, Except it is a perfect time. Did you know about this prior to playing the game? I did. Okay. Um, I, I did know both of the twists already. Um, it's kind of hard not to. Agreed. If you're into video games. And I never like thought that Metal Gear seemed like a series that I would like. So I thought that I would never play them. So mm-hmm. I didn't avoid spoilers. Um, so I, I wish I would have had like gotten to experience it actually. Because I like stuff like this too. I thought the meta narrative was actually like surprisingly well done in this. I expected it to go a lot more off the rails, like knowing Kojima. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I my favorite thing about it is how they, um, in the latter really long cutscenes um, in the game, go into how the big shell, whatever the trip as through. Blech. like triple s yeah. program thing like trying to three three snakes and all this and that trying to recreate shadow moses mm-hmm. uh and put soldiers through the training to create a soldier like solid snake again blah 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 and talking about how like everything that raiden's experienced up till now has paralleled the first game mm-hmm. i like that it because i didn't i don't think i would have even noticed that if they hadn't brought it up and that really made me like think about sequels. Like it's not a new idea, but the presentation and the execution of it like really made me stop and think like, oh wow. Like sequel I mean like and I think they even they did it really well. Like I think that like it was very much like the first game, but done in such a way that I didn't notice and it just made me think about the nature of sequels. Et cetera, et cetera, which is what I think they wanted you to do. Yeah. The the 
the joke that I made, I think, on the first episode, I've, I've referenced the, the first game's episode, like, three times, yeah. and I didn't listen to it prior to this, so Me neither. I, <laughs> I don't know how accurate a lot of these things I'm saying are, but I'm pretty sure that the joke that I made is that Metal Gear 1 is an anti-war game. It's a game that its messages about war are not particularly difficult to grasp, and Metal Gear 2 is a game about games and those elements are not that hard to grasp. But I think that in both cases, that is hyperbole. I think that there is a little bit of a deeper message, as much as I like to clown on Kojima for being really obvious with his messages. I think that Metagur 2 specifically has this like really existential setting where you don't know exactly what's real and what isn't, by design and the end of the game throws all previous parts of the game into question in a way that I really liked. I think the the fact that the colonel is frequently qu- just direct quoting lines that he said in MGS1 and it's uh uh-oh Roy Campbell is the character name Whoever the actor is who like, plays him. I have him, no idea, yeah. Yeah, it's the same guy from, from MGS1, um, which I guess isn't surprising because there's only like a three-year difference between the two games, but the fact that they brought the same guy back to do the same lines and he gives a different performance on it really drives home sort of the elements of his character that worked so well in the sequel. And I think that Rose is an excellent character, for the very same sort of reasons where you get knowing in repeat playthroughs that she is also part of the GW AI mm-hmm. is really interesting. <laughs> but uh, she is also a real person, I guess. Yeah. At the end. Yeah. Yeah. Rosemary is real. And I don't know how much of what she says as part of the simulation is true to the character herself. Yeah. I I don't like the whole bit about wanting to go into his room. And like, obviously that's a thing that actually is like a, is Jack's like thing. Like Mm -hmm. he, he doesn't want people in his room. Uh, and, but like that she actually got into the room. I don't know if that actually happened. I don't know how much of Jack's past Rose is privy to in comparison to the AI version of Rose, which obviously knows everything about him uh and even there's a line at the beginning the very fucking beginning of chapter two Mm -hmm. that i didn't even like put into context until this most recent playthrough where he's like oh we have somebody here to do save your progress and shit and she's like hi jack it's me rose Mm -hmm. how's it going and he's like, Rose, what are you, you can't be in the field, blah, 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 blah. And fucking, the colonel's just like, I have my own reasons for wanting Rose in here. And it's because, like, Rose is the thing that tethers Jack into believing everything that they're talking about. Because, like, why would she lie to him? Mm-hmm. Uh, and beyond that, there's the fact that she is also an AI. So, like, it's just a simulation of conversation there's a lot to it and the ending dialogue on the codec with them is is some of my favorite like in the game so yeah yeah and 
the way she's introduced to like she asks you like if you remember what tomorrow is mm-hmm. like it, it puts Raiden in the red with her like in the doghouse uh, so you don't you don't see the twist coming that she has been lying the whole time right because she seems like she's got like the moral high ground yeah um <laughs> uh so in relation to um um dead cell feeling like they don't get like the appropriate amount of like payoff for, mm-hmm. for um in comparison to uh, like uh, fox sound from the first game uh i also felt like emma uh hal's sister to be introduced and then killed like way too fast yeah uh it it was really weird uh it felt like they should have introduced her in like the first part of the game if they wanted it to like her death to have weight for the player yeah they introduced the idea of her without giving specifics or names Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like you should have been talking to her on the codec and stuff. Yeah. Like, way earlier in the game, if they wanted you to care. It doesn't even really feel like she needed to die. No. Yeah. It, that also kind of felt like just kicking Otacon while he's down. <laughs> yeah. And, like, Otacon already, the character who is introduced to the series by pissing his pants, yeah. gets get, in the second game he's in, is in a nearly identical room, and his sister gets killed. And also... They've got kind of a fucking step-sibling porno relationship. Yeah, I was gonna... I had these thoughts. I actually wasn't gonna bring it up. Um, <laughs> Look, we already talked about our autoerotic yeah. asphyxiation. There is, it does feel like a romantic thing. It's an unrequited ro- romantic relationship where Emma is in love with Otacon. Right. And Otacon was banging Emma's mom. Yeah, like, that's so... It, that's so heavy... Yes. ...to just drop in a couple of lines and move on. Mm-hmm. To the point where the first couple times through this game, once yeah, again, like, was a kid, didn't know. Oh, yeah, and, like, even me, an adult, sitting there, I'm like, is, are they implying this? <laughs> <laughs> like, did I understand that right? Like, he's banging his stepmom? Uh-huh. And, and, I, and it, does she, in the, is she into him? <laughs> Am I am I reading these signs correctly? Uh, you question it because mm-hmm. it's just so nonchalant and like so fast. Yep. And then she dies. It's over in a flash, and then yeah, so is her life. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, it's weird. It's extremely weird. And I remember the death of Emma affecting me as a kid and thinking that the scene was sad. Yeah. And well, like I... the way that the death of Yoda is sad, where you don't really know the character that well, but you're just like, ah. I feel like they sell it, they try to sell it with Otacon, because you do like him. Yeah. And he's very sad about it. And the, the they do pull that sneaky trick of having the parrot talk <laughs> and say, how I miss you, which is pretty sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a little cheap. Yeah, it's I definitely see your tricks. cheap. <laughs> and also really just, if we're going to talk about things in the game that are potentially problematic and weird, mm-hmm. a classic Kojima move to just like introduce a female character and then just fucking kill him mm. and be like, look at how much the male characters suffer because of this. Yeah, that is a very tired trope. It sure is. Mm. But it's 2001 Kojima, it's like unavoidable. Yeah. Fucking Fortune is wearing like a bikini for the whole game yeah. and boots. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. It's ick for sure. It's just extremely weird and 
is so is glossed over so quickly. That's the part where I'm like, sh- I sure hope that part was a simulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Raiden, this was not part of the program. <laughs> yeah, well, I sure as fuck <laughs> hope not, says uh, Raiden. Okay, so one thing we haven't really touched on very much um, is the fact that Snake does show up, and yeah. he's like a comrade of yours. Uh, it, which I thought was a really cool dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, and you get that payoff at the end where you run down a hallway with him and murder a bunch of dudes together, and it's and it feels pretty badass. Yeah, it's very. Um, was that Predator? Probably not. There's a movie where I mean, two, it might be Predator. Yeah, like two old war chums meet up and just gun down a hundred mm. enemies. Is it The Expendables? It could be The Expendables. Uh, We're not the biggest action movie buffs. For sure, we are not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I liked Snake as a character in this. Yeah, I think anybody who complained about not playing a Snake didn't realize how cool of a character Snake actually is. Because not playing a snake means that you get to see him do a lot cooler shit that you would never be able to do with your baby hands mm-hmm. that you can't use the controller well with. Yeah, and it, it, it does. It plays into that meta element as well, though, because, like, you want to be snake, and so then they everyone else in the game also wants you to be snake, wants Raiden <laughs> to... You know, they're trying to make Raiden into solid snake. Yes. So there is, like, a cool parallel going on there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, like, stuff in this game involving the various snakes. Oh, yeah. That is It's very hard to weird. keep it all straight. <laughs> it really is. Because, like, Solidus is George Sears. Yeah, like, I... Who's <laughs> the president? I, yeah, like, I thought I had remembered his name from the first one. Mm-hmm. And then thought he was also Liquid Snake. So, like, I totally confused that, uh, which it seems like it's pretty easy to do. Yeah, it's true. They all have effectively... I mean, they're, they're, they're all clones of the same yeah, guy. Yeah, they're all the same guy. What is this, Kingdom Hearts? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, fucking any Metal Gear fans who complain about the Kingdom Hearts plotline, <laughs> you have a game with three characters who are all clones of the same guy. Yeah. He's Squidward. He's Squidward. <laughs> I'm Squidward. Meow. Uh... It's super strange, and then on they throw on top of that maybe one of the most confounding and irritating lines in video game history, mm-hmm. which is that you you get this taste of the Patriots, the Lali Lule Lo, mm-hmm. all of the these like indications. And note, I've not played Metal Gear Solid Four. It's come up on the podcast multiple times i don't know why i still haven't yeah i actually kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that based on what i know about it at the end which will be very little Mm because it's almost nothing but continue your thing sure but you get on these things like uh ames being like uh i'm like you i was sent here by the patriots and like Patriots come up once twice in the game Mm -hmm. and by the end they're like this the whole fucking point is they're like we gotta figure out the location of the Patriots so we can stop their plans and then the end of the game is like (laughs) well I found the list of names but they all died 200 years ago. Bumpa. The next game, Metal Gear Solid 3, is set in 1974. Yeah, it's a prequel game. <laughs> so, fuck 
you if you didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. <laughs> yeah, that line did stand out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because it is a Kojima game, I just let it wave over me. I was like, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll probably also never play Metal Gear Four, so I, I'll never find out. Oh, I will play it one day. Yeah, probably. You you have access to a PS3 now. So I you do. Can, yeah. yeah, nothing stopping you except sixty bucks. <laughs> um, but just the things that I wanted to mention about it is, it feels like Metal Gear Four has a lot of implications to this game. Yes, because I know that like Raiden is just in it, mm-hmm. uh, and he's like the cyborg ninja now. Um, so I guess they successfully turned him into Snake, which <laughs> confirming that this was all mostly real, right? Uh, and I know that Meryl is alive, is is also a character in it, Correct. so it canonizes that ending of the first game, mm-hmm. which they were hesitant to do in this, which I respect. Yeah, there's even like that whole segment about how Otacon has survivor's guilt and shit. Yeah, and, which, which seeming like maybe she shouldn't be alive. Right, but I guess you can make a reading of it where they both make it out. Well, yeah, he was um, also like had a crush on or Stockholm Syndrome for Sniper Wolf, so yes. he could be talking about her. Yeah, and I think that he was. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so I don't really know much about Metal Gear 4, but I think it's, isn't it called Guns of the Patriots? It is, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and this is the Sons of Liberty, which is just another of the pseudonyms that they use to refer to the Patriots. It sounds like a TV show that your dad watches on, like, (laughs) sci-fi or history channel or Mm -hmm. whatever. Starring Tom Selleck or some shit, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it, it's it's really odd, and they use this... What I always thought when I uh, played this game originally is that the Patriots were, the, like, the founding fathers of it, the United States. It feels like the Illuminati, yeah. or, like, the Minutemen. But why would they have died 200 years ago? That kind of a thing. Yeah. And are still somehow controlling everything, presumably through, like, some kind of AI program, probably. Right. I do get to shout out the games. The game is obviously focused on technology, mm-hmm. and I feel like it was more prescient than it knew uh, when it came out. Yeah. Because at the time, it was like sci-fi with the classic sci-fi cautionary tone, where it's like, oh, the Patriots want to make a device that will censor the information going out across the internet so that people won't know about uh, stuff as yeah. much as they would like. Yeah, it's a little bit more like James Bond espionage than sci-fi, but definitely some sci-fi in there. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's like James Metal Bond, Gear, but yeah. With, yeah, with Metal Gear. Metal Gears are definitely sci-fi. <laughs> but the thing that, like, to me, like, uh, especially, like, near the end of the game when they're talking about all this stuff and... and basically revealing they've been gaslighting right in the entire game is that we're probably closer to the reality of, of Arsenal gear now than we were ever gonna be in mm-hmm. 2001. Like there was a paradigm shift and now people just don't want to know shit. That's true. Yeah. Like and me too. Like I'm scared of half the stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't know. At I, this point. I, <laughs> yeah. I just don't watch the news. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I don't. Yeah, it's weird to me. Like the uh, the concept of like doom scrolling and people like getting addicted to watching the news and mm-hmm. seeing the bad information. Yeah, uh, and that's just sort of. And I think that's that's got to be that's part of Arsenal gear, right? Yeah, there. No, they've definitely got their finger on a pulse there mm-hmm. for sure uh, of how people are interacting. <laughs> yeah, with this the is set in like two thousand nine. Uh, so. Is they it were 2009, they, 2007? I think it's the like tanker is 2007. That's it, yeah. The shell is 2009. Um, but, yeah, they, they were off by a few decades, but, you know, like, they're <laughs> well, like not... like one. Well, I mean... <laughs> oh, we, oh, you're not... You mean they... they not literally. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. <laughs> uh, but this stuff like this does seem a lot more possible now. Yeah. Yeah, what a weird game this was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like very like surprisingly subtle, and had more interesting things to say, or said it's what it was trying to say in a more interesting way than I expected. Yeah, I have Mm -hmm. a big boner for this game. Nice. Uh, (laughs) uh, I did want to talk about two other things very super briefly, Mm -hmm. Um, and they're the things that we always say for the fucking end. Actually, one of them we've already sort of covered, which is the design, like the visual design. Mm. I think that for the most part, everything looks as you would expect it to coming from Metal Gear 1. Uh, but the shell has a really nice sort of outdoor look to it. Yeah, the it's another example of the... It's a good series to look at if you want to like put into perspective the graphical leap between the PS1 and the PS2. Mm-hmm. This game looks so much better than Metal Gear Solid 1. It feels kind of crazy. Like, mm-hmm. like the leap in those two console generations was huge. Yeah, and Metal Gear 1 wasn't exactly made on a shoestring budget, but also the success of Metal Gear 1 allowed them to go, be a little bit more extravagant. Yeah. Uh, so you do get, like, face detail, which you yeah. did not have. Yeah. Raiden has <laughs> eyes and not just shadows. <laughs> yes. Um, and it also gives them the ability to have the 3D models in the codec Mm-hmm. calls uh which is i mean i love the illustrations uh, yeah i think i kind of prefer those personally sure. but like, it doesn't allow for as much expression sure um but i mean they could have animated them but um the i love the illustrations like that those metal gear um like on the title screen mm-hmm. um and some of the flashbacks you see like little kid riding he's illustrated like that i just love the look of that artwork yeah it's just, yeah, it's really good, and it's like a signature style for those series mm-hmm. at this point. So, just really, really in, in, enduring uh, style of art that, that I'd love to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we did we did already sort of mention that. So, the thing that I want to move on is to sound design, and it's three big areas that I want to talk about. The first one is the obvious one, which is the music. It's uh, orchestral, like fully orchestrated um and with the exception of like the zones that are specifically like electronic for the feeling of it uh i think it all sounds really good uh yell dead cell is like one of my favorite things in the whole world and it's uh-huh. just cuz it's very corny and weird mm-hmm. um but like the main theme as performed for metal gear solid 2 is fucking is heart destroying <laughs> it's such a good track yeah I really like the just the big shell theme. Yeah. It's on 
the thing I like to reference a lot, the chill video game playlist that I listen to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I really like that song. Yeah, there's a lot of really good music in here, and it's uh, the use of it is incredibly is I mean it's a Kojima thing more than anything else. The dude wants to make movies and could give one fuck about your video game preferences, mm-hmm. and uh, he he has a really good ear for like when to insert songs and when things are gonna work and when the lyrics come in into songs he chooses the appropriate times for them. Uh, and then other times there'll be a more understated thing. I, I love the boss musics. Uh, I love the overground theme. I don't know what you call that. Just like what plays ambiently. That sort of like very light tapping sounds oh, and yeah. stuff. There's, um, there is a name for that. But I'm not going to be able to think of it on the spot. <laughs> yeah, but that ambient But it's like track. they use it in like movies. So there isn't just like dead silence and stuff. Yeah. Uh just super, super good, and I've always enjoyed it. It's not something that I would put on my headphones to just, like, fucking rock out to, mm-hmm. but it is. It, it fits the game super well. Yeah. And then the other element of it, of sound, is uh, the voice acting, which I think is incredible almost universally. Yeah, it's, um, it's... It, it's a, it sits in an interesting place because I think the first one leaned into the more corny side because of like where the medium was at the time mm-hmm. um it ended up being like i think the better way to go uh to kind of lean into the campiness but in this like it's definitely a step up but it still retains that um and it it, it does have a unique flavor to it yeah it, yeah it, it's a very metal gear Christmas. Yeah, like it's almost <laughs> it's almost uh kind of cartoony in t- at times. Mm-hmm. Um But uh, yeah, yeah, like but then other times like it does co- it does come off as like very sincere. Like it it does have like it, there's a tight rope that it walks. Mhm. Like Snake and Otacon were iconic from the first game. Yeah, and they're the standouts, I think. Yeah. Roy Campbell is a new gaming icon with his fucking like um, the sea enemy or clematis plant like fucking zone out crazy talk uh at the end of the game mm-hmm. to, like elevates his performance into like unforgettable status mostly because of the writing but he does an excellent job with the performance as well mm-hmm. uh i think all of dead cell is really well uh i think fat man once again <laughs> best member of dead cell has he he is flawlessly unhinged in his performance mm-hmm. and i felt i feel like it was probably really easy yeah to play fat man because you just have to go wild and he sure did mm-hmm. <laughs> i think it works really well and like similar shout outs to everybody else obviously liquid and revolver ocelot are reprising roles mm-hmm. uh, that they both performed well in the first game uh Rose does a good job, especially when you find out she's a fucking robot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's... She might have the most natural sounding performance. Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, especially for uh, an AI. Yeah. You don't get it until the end with her. Yeah. Um, and Raiden himself. Yeah. You can't remember his name, but I, did, I didn't you get You didn't it. get him. <laughs> I sure didn't. We were both racing each other to say that first. <laughs> I can't believe it didn't hit me until yeah. until that moment. Yeah, 
For those uninitiated, the guy who plays Raiden is the same as the voice actor for Axel in Kingdom Hearts, whose yeah. catchphrase is got it memorized. Yep, don't you know how popular he is? <laughs> I didn't know why. It's because he played Raiden, uh-huh. everyone's favorite character. Uh, oh, and then lastly on sound design... Uh, sound design. Yeah. It's just, the guns feel super good. They're really loud and punchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the sound, like the fucking basketball court slipping sound when you fall on the bird crap to your death for the ninth time. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny every time. <laughs> uh, just like, you get a sense of how loud you're being. And it's, it's also, this is like a weird note, uh, you have like a melee attack combo for both characters that's like a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And I like that Snakes feels more brutal and Raiden has more like finesse to it. Yeah. And when he does the little flips and stuff, you can tell like, oh, Raiden's not making as much noise as Snake when he does the roll and stuff. Yeah. There's, like, a grace to Raiden because he's, one, got newer suit technology. Oh, and he was raised to be a killer, I guess. Yeah. Mercenary, whatever. So it, like, highlights the differences between them and just, like, overall makes the the characters feel a little bit more different. Mm Mm-hmm. And on that, do we have... The F3 project. Final, final thoughts. My final, final thoughts <laughs> are... Um, I am not the biggest Metal Gear Solid fan. Um, it's one of those things where I've always known him by reputation. Um, yes. Chad. I just... I should have said, do we have Lolly Lula thoughts? <laughs> You should have said that. You're correct. Sorry, go on, please. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've always known this series by reputation, and I know a lot of reviewers that really like these, and obviously you do, JJ does, um, but they don't have never really clicked with me. Um, I don't dislike them at all, but like... I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, I play it and I'm like, "Is it? It's got to be me, right?" <laughs> like, they just don't quite do it for me, like they do for a lot of other people. So it, it's always a weird experience to play Metal Gear for me. Um, but I, I mean, I did. I had some friction with this when I started. I sucked pretty bad at it. Um, but it, it did smooth out. It started to click more, and it was enjoyable to play. Um, and I think the the playing it now, you know, like. And not at the time, obvious. And I knew some of the twists, so I didn't quite hit as hard mm-hmm. as it will for uh, other people. But I felt like the biggest enemy this game has, it feels like it's fighting its budget. Um, it it looks really great, but then it feels like things are like cut out. As we, we mentioned um, with Dead Cell, like a lot of those characters felt like they didn't get payoff. And there's probably versions of the script where they did. Maybe, maybe not, but it feels like it. Um, yeah, so like Emma and also like the bomb expert guy, whatever his name was. Stillman. Stillman. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't know, and you don't even use half of the map. Like Shell 2, you go to like, what, like three rooms in there? Um, <laughs> and they all suck. 
<laughs> yeah, so it, it it does feel like um, it's a little bit too short for what it is. Uh, I'm assuming it's because of the budget. Um, mm-hmm. You see that a lot with ambitious games of this time, I think. Um, so yeah, that was the biggest thing for me. Is it it this was a very good game. I liked this more than the first one, um, personally. Um, but yeah, it, it felt like it could have been even better to me if some of those elements had been like followed through on um, a bit more. But yeah, like I was very relieved when the game started being more fun for me to play because I was dreading it at first. And I did enjoy my time with this. So I'm glad that I have finally played another Metal Gear Solid game because it's one of those things where like not touched the series and it always kind of felt like homework, like something I should go do. <laughs> Um, you know, like also I have not played Half-Life and mm-hmm. it's another one of those games that weighs on the back of my mind where I'm like, I should really play that. So get to check another one off the list. Yeah. Um, obviously MGS2 is, as I mentioned before, like one of my favorite games. This is a, uh, one of those like seminal games for me as far as like what it is that I like looking for in games, uh, moving forward. And yeah, in retrospect, it is a lot clunkier and a lot more sort of like heavy-handed than maybe I thought before. And it has its uh, weird elements of having sex with your stepmom <laughs> in it that <laughs> are questionable uh, decisions that if you had asked me 15 years ago, as we're approaching the 20th anniversary of this game, what I would have just said, no, it's perfect. And Kojima is a genius and I love him. If you brought him to me right now, I would give him 60 more dollars and say, (laughs) I'll just take another copy. Thank you. Uh, And it was a little bit less the case. Now I, I'm still a fan of the game and I still think it's great. And I think it holds up a lot better than I just implied maybe, but it is a lot of things taken in aggregate, I think. It, when you look at, we mentioned the, the little things, like the details of the game, that is, it's just jam-packed with, but it's hard to make a list of them because most of them never come up as, a, as like an effective actual gameplay element. Um, but the fact that they're there is important. The story goes in a million different direction at, directions at times, and while I think it finishes in a satisfactory way, has a lot of like loose ends, some intentional, some seemingly less so. But in aggregate, once again, it feels complete and it feels good. And the gameplay is it's pretty tight for a game from 2001. Uh, and there's a lot of that stuff that just comes together and makes it a little bit of nostalgia. And I was like, let's do Metal Gear Solid 2. And then I bought the game for like the 11th time in my life. Fucking put it in and just played through the whole fucking thing in like three days. I was just, I would get up, play Metal Gear, go to work. Get up, play Metal Gear, go to work until I finished it. Uh, And I had a great time the whole time. Even in parts that I didn't like, I was still somehow having fun just because I was going back to a childhood favorite. So uh, if you have nostalgia for this game, play it again. It's a good fucking time. You won't regret it. If you don't, 
you have to play it. It's in the fucking gamer law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't, then you're going to get kicked out of the club. So fucking chop, chop. Thank you for listening to No Clip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, lightning, thunder crash. We're going to be talking about uh, the medium. There it is. I figured it out. <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> Uh, a survival horror game. Uh, sort of. I've finished it at yeah, this point. I've not played it yet. Mm-hmm. It is a yeah. It, it's like a horror adventure game in the way that they are these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an it's an interesting one. I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, until that time, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast. Dot com. There you can find links to our email address, our Twitter account, the YouTube, where you can listen to all of our old episodes, like, fittingly, Metal Gear Solid 1, uh, or revisit our Halloween episodes in preparation of the upcoming spookiest month of the year. Ooh. Ooh. Vamp approved. Uh- <laughs> Riding. I'm going to need you to push the subscribe button. Oh, yeah, they just fucking say button names all the time. You can access the... (laughs) You can access the terminal by pressing the subscribe button. That wasn't a voice from the game. No, that's just you if you were in the codec. Your frequency is 140.69. Hell, yeah. I don't know if... That's a real one. (laughs) Goodbye! (laughs) Uh, uh, Colonel. (laughs) Trying to record a podcast. But I'm dummy thick. The sound of my ass cheeks clapping together keeps messing up the audio. Keeps picking. Keeps getting picked up by the mic. (laughs)